midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. Okay, welcome to Middle Ground. Middle Ground. I'm Chris Kelsch. And I'm Chris Otto. Middle Ground, just a couple of guys trying to find some balance and figure shit out. That's us. In the middle of everything. Uh, Chris, you're uh, in Cass City. Uh, Cass City, Michigan. In the thumb, for those of you familiar with the great state of. And, uh, That's I'm, right. And I'm in Chicago helping my co-workers, a lot of them females, filling out their NCAA brackets, doing what everyone else is doing this time of year. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I love this is this is one of my favorite times of year. I love today and tomorrow. The first round today was today's we're, we're recording this on a Thursday, so day one of round one is still going on. Actually, it is. The games are going on as we speak, and they're actually the two most unproductive days in U.S. labor uh, every day. I think these are the two people are absolutely at work. they're at work, but they're not working. They're sneaking out, checking the scores, following their brackets, getting updates. Nobody's really working. Well, either that or everybody's got that little square in the side of their computer monitor where they're watching a game. <laughs> well, well, my thing is it's so all-encompassing, and I know you've got a big weekend uh, coming up. Uh, you're going to be doing some traveling with Nina, but we were talking about, you know, as you know, I work with a lot of young girls, and they're always hounding me, helping them to figure out their brackets. So it's like it's like this. It's a cool <laughs> thing because everyone's into it. There's no one that isn't partaking in it, and that's a kind of a cool thing. That's well, I, you know, I do wonder, like, I don't know, senior citizens or older widows or something who just aren't into it. Like, they're totally oblivious to what the rest of the world is focused on right now. Possibly. Somebody had Yale knocking out Baylor, though. I know it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How many people took a bath on that? Come on. Well, it's like every year. You know, it doesn't take long for everyone's brackets to be busted, usually on the first day, usually by noon, those first games. So, anyway. On to more important things, and there are other more important things. You have a big weekend ahead of you. You are traveling to California. Well, more than a weekend. So, I'm yeah, I'm headed out to see uh, my brother and sister live in San Diego, so I'm going out there. But here's the thing. Yeah, you mentioned it. I'm taking uh, Nina, who I've been seeing now for uh, a number of months, a couple, few months. And uh, I'm a little nervous about this. because, In fact, this, this podcast that we're recording right now, they may hear this before I get there on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and they're going to find out that she is, uh, very young and, uh, they've already, they've asked me many times how old she is and I have refused to answer, That's but now smart. I can't, I can't hide from it anymore because I, I wanted to wait and make sure that we, that the relationship lasted right. a little, you know, a number of months. Well, can and I then just, now, yeah. well, well, hold on. So the fact that I'm taking her out there, I think is a big statement. So that should, should, instill some faith and confidence in my decision but they're gonna find out either on this podcast or when i get there she's just turned 24 years old yeah and i have to say anytime you make a commitment to get on an airplane with someone and fly to the west coast that's what four four and a half hour flight uh you have to just, four and a half hours so you have to yeah. sit next to that person for four. i think in many ways that's a huge statement of adulthood like that's saying hey we're committed we sat next to each other on an airplane yeah. for four and a half hours in this day and age that's a huge step absolutely and here's the thing this is a 10 day trip it's the eyes of March for you guys. It really is. It is March Madness. It's your own personal March Madness. It is, no, it is March Madness. Is, <laughs> what I was going to say, if I could jump in and offer one opinion, if they should uh, listen to this before meeting or if that's the way it plays out, if I could just jump in. I have been <laughs> Wait, wait. Room, is this is I, this an opinion or right, a piece I of advice for me or for my family? For your family. I have been in the room with you and Nina. And it's one thing to look at the number and say, well, you're X, X years old, she's X years old, that doesn't make sense. But I will say to you that when I'm, you're in the room with you and Nina, at no point would a normal human being look at that and go, oh, that doesn't seem right, or that's crazy. It was fine. It's fine. It's natural. There's nothing forced about it. Uh, she's a mature, a very, very mature uh, yeah. 24, and you're... You know, I, I don't know if I'd call you mature, but you're an adult, and uh, <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Uh, I think I, no, you... I think you're both adults, and I think you're both handling it well, and I think your family will see that, 
and I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. But you never know. I don't, well, I, I think it. You know, my my parent. Well, my parents won't be out there, but my uh, I think my brother will be fine. My sister will be fine. I think I'm a little worried about my sister in law, maybe. Yeah. But you know, he, my theory on this is I, I'm fairly immature for my 48 years, and Nina is actually really mature for her 24 years. She's just finishing up grad school she's far more educated and mature than i ever was at that age so i'm thinking we meet somewhere in the if you give her a plus 10 give me a minus 10 we're somewhere together in our early 30s you're really three years older than she is no i totally agree with what you're saying it's not the (laughs) biological number it's the mental number exactly right there that's what i mean exactly and when you walk into a room you see the mental difference and you go these two belong together it's not a problem. I'm telling you, it's not a problem. I, I only because I've seen it. It's not a problem. But here's my theoretical question to you. This is so I, I had somebody say to me the other day. Well, it's not like she's more than 20 years younger than you. Come on, and I was like, uh, well, actually, she kind of is. But then I thought to myself, so how young is too young? What what is the youngest you would date? Given, let's say, she's mature, she's fully employed, she's on her own, she's independent, but you find out she is. X, okay. And you say bye-bye. Probably she's got to be at least uh, right where you're at. You're at the bottom rung of that. So I would say 23, 24 is the absolute low end of that. Um, I, I would like to think that she's out of been out of school for maybe a year or two and is starting to get on the ground and get a feel for adulthood and, and entering into that part of her life there's exceptions of course there is no one blanket rule but generally speaking i and i only say this because there's a girl i work with at work who, who's been out of school for a year went to iowa this is her first job out of school great kid love her to pieces but she's so <laughs> immature and she talks like a valley girl and she's so funny <laughs> to be around and the stuff she says and the stupid observations she has make me laugh so much he's a sweetheart but she's like you guys hitler was a fucking dick <laughs> like, like it's just <laughs> random observations like that I'm like thank you caitlin we appreciate that thank you like caitlin are you voting for hillary do you, you know are you what do you think about hillary i'm not gonna vote for hillary i wanted to be the first president of the united states i'm not gonna let her steal my thunder fuck her man <laughs> she wants to be the first female yeah, president and she's not <laughs> wow it may not happen for Wow. Them. So I don't know. It's, that's that's what I'm talking about. These women live in a whole other world. But God bless them. They're great girls. They're fun to be around and uh, helping them fill out. So you would, you would not go out with her? Probably not. You would not go out probably with her? Probably not. Great kid. Love her. Probably not. Okay, so you're at an office party. You're drinking. She's drinking. Uh, there's There are looks flying across the right. bar. She makes it obvious. Would you? If biology took over, yeah, yeah. If Mother Nature steps in and runs the show, then I'm not going to say no to that. All right, but but the next morning you're gonna you're gonna crush the poor girl's dreams. Probably, but probably maybe not. I, you know what, Chris? Who am I to say? I in my entire life, if you asked me how I thought things would go, how I'd predict them, how it would play out, I've been wrong about everything. <laughs> so what do I know? And frankly, it's frankly so of you. <laughs> I love this quote, but this is a whole other podcast, but the, the quote, I'm sure you've heard it. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. And I totally believe that. That is, I, exactly I love that quote. Truth. Yeah. You want to, I, I plan God laughs. That's a good podcast topic right there is, uh, who the hell is God anyways? And it, it does, he exist. So if you want to tackle that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and we can wrap that one up in 20 minutes. <laughs> Well, you know what? I didn't. What as soon as I said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I can just see people going, "Oh, he's religious." I didn't know that. No, no, let's not make that mistake. No. I am not. No, we are. That not. was God with a small G. Yeah, God with absolutely. a small G. Speaking of God with a small G, there's someone being worshipped out there across this great land, and I am just flipping. I just, I still can't believe it. I still can't believe Donald Trump is walking away with this nomination. I can't and believe no, it. And uh, that part and the fact that no one has come up with any ideas or anything on what to do. I saw this guy on CNN tonight on Anderson Cooper on uh, some sort of, there's no, some sort of conservative action group, conservatives against Donald Trump. So Cooper gets yes. him on there, lines him up. The guy looks like he's a character out of South Park and he's literally got no ideas on how to get these guys together and stop this monstrosity. And I, I just think they're out of ideas and they don't know what to do. 
and I'm with you, it's probably going to go to a broker convention. But even then, I don't know how that plays out. Someone's got to give up delegates. Who gets Rubo? Who gets Rubio's delegates? I guess is. It's kind of interesting what's happening over the last day or two, though, because you're starting to see various factions of conservatives and Republicans lining up to try to figure out ways to hammer him in different ways. So I, I've heard there was a big conference call earlier this week amongst all these billionaires who were ready to pour money into Jeb Bush, you know, some of the more establishment candidates. And now they're all sitting around with blank checks trying to figure out what to do with all this money and how they can mobilize that those funds against Donald Trump. And none of them want Cruz. So and, you know, Kasich may be a I mean, is he going to be a VP on the ticket? Maybe, but he's probably not going to be the nominee. So where does all this money, where can it go? You know, you know, you just hit on something. So then do you do you go with like this, the next best option, which is you resign yourself to Trump, but you pull him in a room and you got to mo- somehow moderate that ticket a little bit. And do you get like a, a reasonable VP or I don't, you know what I mean? Like, is that, is that the next worst option is like you try and find a political VP guy that can balance that out a little bit. I mean, is that, I guess that might come down to that too, but well, I, I mean, ask, ask yourself that question though. Is Trump going to be told who he should pick as a VP candidate? Hell I no. Know. I have no idea. Hell no. So Trump's pretty soon going to come to a, to a point where he's got to start picking this stuff. Like he's going to have to have to pick a VP who I, obviously he probably is going to give it to Christie or whoever. He's got to start yeah. picking advisors. He's got to start picking foreign policy advisors and he's going to actually start having to form an administration. You know what I mean? It's crazy. I honestly believe there are far too many very powerful, very rich Republicans out there who are saying to themselves and to everyone around them, over my dead body, is this going to happen? So I just think that, you know, and if you look at the delegate count, yes, he's way in the lead and nobody else can catch him. I think mathematically or Cruz can, but, you know, nobody sees Cruz doing that either. But the fact of the matter is, He's still at 40%, which means 60% of Republican voters don't want him. Right. So, and they're spread amongst, you know, they're still out there with Marco's voters. You got Cruz's voters. You got Kasich's voters. If you put them all together, Trump can still be defeated. Um, And I think that's, I think Kasich and Cruz are just going to go into the convention and somehow you got to figure out a way to get everybody behind one guy and then you can beat Trump. But it's going to be a freaking mess. I mean, that that week in Cleveland is going to be the best reality show ever. It's going to be a shit show. Which leads me to the thing I was most miffed about this week was the Republicans flat out refusing to uh, to do a hearing on Obama's Supreme Court nominee. Um, and I thought that was really weak. Because basically, Obama, I thought I read it as Obama throwing him a bone, gave him a centrist moderate candidate. Everyone on both sides of the aisle agrees the guy's a pretty good guy. And if you take this guy who is a 63-year-old moderate and centrist, that's a pretty good deal because if Hillary gets in, then you know it's going to be a 45-year-old or a 50-year-old diehard liberal. And if Trump gets in, who knows who he's going to pick for a Supreme Court nominee. So I just thought that was that was poorly played, really poorly played by Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans. They overplayed their hand there. But I have to ask you, though, what did you expect? I mean, the way that this Congress has refused to work with this president and vice versa there was no other there was no other scenario that was going to happen i agree i agree i just i just on the other side of the fence you could say i'm disappointed in president obama he should just say let's leave it open for the next president and wait for the election i mean you, you could say that too yeah, you could, I suppose. I, I, I mean, I, I thought that was one of the most uh, important duties of, of a president who wins an election is he gets to pick the next, is he gets to pick Supreme Court judges. And that's one, it's a huge thing. You know that Obama is a huge practitioner of constitutional law. He taught constitutional law at University of Chicago. So I think that's probably a, a pretty special thing to him to be able to do. Um, but you're right, Chris, I should, I should have shouldn't have expect anything any different but let me let me roll this scenario out to you let's say uh november rolls around and no and and uh, clinton uh hillary knocks out donald trump or however it plays out do the republicans go back to obama and say we'll take this guy before hillary gets in i think they make a deal that's i could see it playing out that way uh that's an interesting thought I mean, I guess lesser of two evils, maybe, yeah. but I just don't see them 
playing nice with Obama at all. I think that that uh, that ship has passed. I just think they're they've all buckled in. They're they're battening down the hatches for the next ten months or whatever it is, and nothing's going to get done. Nothing. All right. Good prediction. That's probably how it's going to play out. I agree. Totally agree. Look, as an American, I wish it was different, but I also wish that, you know, the Speaker of the House and the President could sit down and have breakfast and be friends and hammer things out and agree on a budget and agree on, uh, you know, all the various things that Obama's trying to force through as executive. I, I mean, I wish, I wish, I wish, but this government in the last 20 years doesn't operate that way. It's so true. It's sad. It's 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 pathetic. It's not sad. It's pathetic. Anyway, on that note, uh, what else we got? So we've uh, we've got a really great guest this week. I'm excited about this. Yeah, this is really cool. There's a lot of history here. Uh, his name is Scott Anderson, and uh, he used to be, uh, and this is a very sexy title, and I love throwing it out there. Uh, um, he was the uh, former senior art director at Playboy here in Chicago. And uh, the answer to your next question is, yes, he has many times. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know what that means, but you know what I mean. The answer is yes. Uh, yes, he has shot in playmates, and yes, he has done this, and yes, he has done that, and yes, he has lived the lifestyle. But I'm gonna we're gonna let him tell it. But uh, that was in a previous life, and as Playboy went bye bye, he has since, uh, like many of our guests so far, uh, reinvented himself and has started a, uh, a digital uh, agency here in Chicago called The Dog and Pony Show, and he's got some great work on Instagram, and he's got all kinds of stuff going on. going to be a lot of fun. So uh, why don't, uh, without further ado, please uh, welcome to the show Scott Anderson. Scott, thank you for joining us. Scott, Hello. welcome to Middle Ground, man. You made it. Hello, it's good to be in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so much to uh, to talk about, Scott. Obviously, you've had a tremendous history, but you were at Playboy uh, at such a unique time. It was an interesting experience in general. I came into a magazine at a time when digital was just showing up on their radar. And for me, it had already been on my radar. So coming in there, uh, I, I was doing things they hadn't done yet. I was I was using digital. I was all digital. There was no film, but they were still in the old days. So the entire experience was really like a time warp. I, I came, I, I sort of got teleported into this time capsule where everybody was was working way behind because it was such an old company and it's family run. Uh, but the details of working with the old man are, are maybe not as exciting as you might really think. That's because, what fascinates me. I mean, why wouldn't it be exciting? Is it this guy was behind the times? He had no sense of where the publishing industry was going? Or can you talk about wh where well, you guys Sure, are? let's talk about it for a second. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of stories I could possibly tell you for the amount of money that you have in your pocket tonight. We'll work it out. <laughs> <laughs> and then there are other parts which are, are simple reminders that someone's got to drive the fucking car, right? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't drive itself so i'm like the guy in the movie that walks by and go uh you uh, when you ask for the the, the 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 food and i go you want ketchup with that i'm the guy running the the, the vending machine right okay. i'm not make my name i don't own all the vending machines that's what the magazine was like that was the i was on the crew that that worked on the engine that made the race car run so in a lot of ways it's it's not as exotic as it might seem it was a it was as corporate and nine to five as you could possibly think. Right. He is in the whole thing is the most masterful illusion I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> because they sell the drug. Right. They sell you a very powerful drug. Mm -hmm. It's off limits to the rest of the United States. That's why it's behind the, 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 the board at the top of the shelf in the airport because it's a drug. But now the drug just lost its potency. It's like, it's like, it's like smoking some weed, but there's, there's no, uh, 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 what's, there's no THC in it. Right. Right. I haven't tried that. I've paid, <laughs> I've paid for the other drug. I want, I, I will make that clear. Um, so give me a time frame. So when did you come on board Playboy? Uh, I joined the, the bunny hutch in 97. 
so you graduated from college in like the same time we did around 90, right? 89, 90. Right. I'm a slow starter. That, I no, wake that... up late. <laughs> That's I'm curious though, because you, uh, your background is pretty detailed from 97 till now, but there's that 90 to 96, 97 gap of the lost years. Yeah. That, that is uh, an interesting time. That's my, I had my first Mac in a uh, 90. Uh, a friend of mine gave me his first Mac. It's a Mac two sitting down in my basement with a 15 inch screen. And then I, uh, I have all those original illustrator one floppies in my basement as well. These are things my wife says I shouldn't talk about, or <laughs> at least shouldn't use these details because it dates me. But I started very early. I graduated from college without uh, any Mac experience. The Mac I saw on the desk was an SC, and all you could do with it was do some typography. Because up to then, I had done everything by hand. Repeatograph, exacto knives, uh, 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 film, rolling type and film, uh, dark rooms, burning, dodging chemicals, uh, limestone, all that. All analog. Right. And then all of a sudden, I got interested in this digital thing, and I said, man, what is that? Because I was used to figuring stuff out, airbrush repeat a graph and then i just learn how to master the, the the tools you know right because they all they all express themselves and then my buddy said you want to use this computer i said i don't know what you're talking about he goes i'm using it for putting type on a curve i said sure man what, which one is it? i thought it was one of these earlier ones because my original a dream was to get a commodore amiga because <laughs> on the back of how magazine it showed a can a three-dimensional can with some typography that some guy designed it said you could design this on a computer and i said that's what i want to do wow. <laughs> so that was the first one but then my friend said he had this computer and i said sure man let me check out what a mac is i've never really seen one up close and i got my hands on it and then the rest is history i was addicted wow. so then you know that that key that that driving license is how i got into playboy so how does how do you get a job with playboy at that point i mean 90 you know the early mid 90s that's the perfect time to go in there it must have been at its peak or close to its peak how, how does a young you know young guy in his 20s do that once i started to approach my career with a little bit more confidence and with a sort of uh fuck it attitude and i just started thinking about the things that i would be happy with i didn't wait for it and things kept coming my way and i would say yes to them all the time and then i would cut out because i i had never been fired up to this point but now it was a matter of like leaving an advertising agency because the stress was getting to me and then freelancing and then going from being on location to saying you know what i'm going to be in my location bitch i'm going to want you to come to me you know, your, your, your plateaus changed. So I got into a plateau where I was living 14-hour days uh, and getting like six hours of sleep. And I was acting. I was in Tony and Tina's. I was at Second City. I was at Improv Olympic. And it was just too much. So I realized that uh, I was looking at the Joneses and everybody else was buying something or doing this or doing that. And things were changing. And I said, I need, I need, I need to learn how to save money. I need to learn how to buy a house. And I said, I'll entertain some job ideas. So at the time, because I got a nice knowledge of all this tech and because I had been freelancing for a while, I, I basically sort of wrote my own ticket. So I would take opportunities from freelance agencies that would send me places, advertising agencies and all this. And then one day these people called and said, hey, you ever interested in being a webmaster? Because at the time I was doing uh, HTML uh, with uh, Adobe Page Mill and some of these early products. And I had done Planned Parenthood's first website with my partner. Mm -hmm. So I had an inkling of what was going on. I said, you know, I don't know. Where am I going? And they said, Playboy. And I said, I don't know. That might be interesting. I'll go check it out. So I checked <laughs> it out. And the woman interviewed me, and about a week later, she called me. She said, that's some bad news. I don't think you're right. I think you're overqualified. I think you'll get bored. In fact, she said that to me the day, before I, the, the day I met her, the day I left. But what happened during that moment was a, a bit of this magic that you read about in all these success books, whether it's Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss or whoever. You know, all of a sudden, this momentum showed up, and I saw this HR woman that told me I was – overqualified i saw her on the street so i said hello and i'm good with names it's one of these little games i play because it's important that clients hear their names and right. that you know them that's what impresses them very easily absolutely so i saw denise on the street one day after i met her i went denise and she said huh uh, oh hey oh hey what's going on and then i saw her three more times and the third time she said are you stalking me and i said yes <laughs> yes i am and sure enough, I came back in there and she said, she, she called me about after that third event. She called me. She said, you want to come in and interview for art director for the magazine? I went, huh? Huh? 
yeah, sure, why not? And then I interviewed with the guys, and on the last interview, my boss said to me, he looked at the portfolio, he said, listen, why should I hire you? You don't have any magazine experience in your portfolio. Now, I'm going to paraphrase, Chris, but it was similar to this answer. I said, you know what? I didn't have any experience for those other things either, and I did those okay. <laughs> That's a good answer. So with that answer, I pestered the you-know-what out of them, the squeaky wheel. In fact, my managing boss, who gave me the good news when they did hire me, uh, uh, eventually after like seven calls said, you have to stop calling me. <laughs> we'll get back to you. And it was three weeks after that last phone call that they called me in and said, we'd like to hire you. So I think I think uh, how you get a job like that is it's just like it said on a – sign in my locker room in high school luck is when preparation meets opportunity you know that's true and, yeah. and and being able to identify the opportunity so I, I had some reservations about tits and ass and the whole nine yards but when i got there it was easily dismissed because again someone's got to build the engine someone's got to take care of the engine someone's got to make the engine run like a race car so somebody else can drive it around the lot and go look at me and well, that's, that's what we kind of want to get to. Like, it was the, we, you, you said something fascinating. Yeah, TNA and all that. But the culture and environment is still one of, hey, folks, we got to get a magazine out every month, 12 magazines a year. You're on deadlines. You've got to produce. You've got to put editorial to it. You've got to put pictures down. Yeah. What was that like? So it's Oh, that was great. That was great. So this guy started this magazine in 1953, and he didn't date it because he didn't know what it was going to be. It was going to be called Stag earlier but he had some copyright issues and he turned it into playboy and he put the first first issue out with without any date because he didn't know it was going to be successful was that the was that the famous marilyn monroe issue she in that yes yes that's it that's it didn't know it was going to sell didn't know it was going to take off you know he he grew up uh, a very strict uh religious household Mm -hmm. so he uh (laughs) talk about your black sheep this guy you know, broke all the the rules and he was also an artist and a cartoonist so this was just his natural destiny to design a magazine uh, uh, that was for all purpose and, and uh, men's manual, as it says, a men's entertainment for men, but really a, a manual for men on every subject there, there was. It wasn't until the digital revolution that things changed, you know, that everything got splintered. And now all the things that Playboy was great in, music, cars, hotels, lifestyle, naked women, you know, it kept getting chipped down to simply just to its basic, which was beautiful girls next door shot in a beautiful way Yeah, that 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 feels, you know, a little bit naughty and a little bit nice. That magazine was such it was the vision of such a singular visionary, one guy and one and his idea of what the lifestyle that he wanted to sell, the images of women that he wanted to sell. And it's it's a little shocking that it was such a part of American culture for 45 or almost 50 years and then just became irrelevant relatively quickly. I mean, you would think that there'd be some innovation, there'd be another generation that would come along and reinvent it, keep it going, keep it fresh, think, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. But it just it hit a wall there in the an old dog don't want to learn no goddamn new tricks right right about the internet how did he feel about when that came to the forefront what did Hef say about being online and having a strong online presence did he he embrace that resist it how was that approached well like everything there's a lot of resistance so you have to put your mindset around a guy that was an innovator a leader took risks such a big icon quite quite different than almost any other product quite different than disney you know, the opposite of Disney. Yeah, and actually, that's a good example. Innovator, yeah. you know, a maverick. Yep. A maverick. And the thing about it is he's a car. he was a cartoonist. He wanted to do cartoons right. and draw cartoons. I don't know that he even knew, like anybody else, what it would become. Mm-hmm. What, what's interesting is it, he didn't care. He had an idea of something, and he started it, you know? Here's a magazine with a bunch of stories about food and clothing and all these things that are important to men that want to go out and live a lifestyle. And then there was this picture of a naked woman. And then it took off, you know, and it became a franchise magazine that dealt with all these things. So truly for the articles, that's what it was. It was a destination for, you know, freeing up the the male libido. But on the other side, you know, people went to Playboy to figure out what stereo to buy. Yeah. That's what you did. Now you can go online. You- and he did expand it. And, you know, 60s and 70s, the Playboy After Hours television show and the Playboy clubs. You know, you look at the battery that runs the 
the machine. And the battery now in the 70s is living with Barbie Benson, and she moves him out to the mansion from Chicago, and he's got this jet, yep. the bunny. It's flying in the air. I can't tell you how many layouts they've done on all this history. And it's amazing. He's got parties up in the sky. Nobody's ever seen this, you know. He's got celebrities up there. He's doing all this. but And he's continuing to change and grow. And then you know what happens? Somewhere in the 80s, he gets married. Uh, yeah. Settled down. Settled down. down. Oh, he had two children. This was like Kimberly Conrad, right? Kimberly Conrad. That's correct. Yes, That's good. correct. Yeah. Very good. Right. Oh, come on, right. man. I know and, my Playboy uh, history. So is that his attention is starting to... to, uh, to fade from the magazine and focus more on family and home and the wife is that is that when christy started to take over christy was a figurehead of the 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 enterprise everything but the magazine mm -hmm. she was positioned that way and it looked like she was running things but she wasn't running the magazine she's never run the magazine that was the conflict in this family culture he said if she ever ran the magazine she would take the nudity out and eventually his predictions came true yeah. and that's another reason they got they they let her go there's a lot of speculation i couldn't tell you exactly why they let her go but the board wasn't happy you know when at one point when i started probably around around the millennium uh i had shares at 35 37 dollars mm -hmm. because playboy had, had found this second deep breath with digital and online you know they spent a million dollars on a stairway from the 14th floor no, from the 15th floor to the 14th floor, an empty floor. And this is at 680 North Lake Shore Drive. Right. This is in 98, 99, and they fill it up with 200 people. And two years later, they have to shut the floor down. They have to cover it up. <laughs> now, I, I should say, I met Scott uh, in early 2000s, and he took me into those Playboy offices, and they were beautiful. And mm. I'm not talking about just you know, pictures of women, naked women. I'm talking about just like a really modern office space, you know, that's really well lit. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like 680 North Lake Shore Drive. It's kind of a unique location because that's pretty much residential over there in Spreederville. But it's there, and it's really well lit, and it's like a modern Internet company. So that's what they spent all that money on to, like, create the vibe. Yeah, that they, and well, no – and to, to, to really do what that was, you know, that's when the, the, the stock went up. That's when dot-com was taking yeah. off. Except, unfortunately, as I discovered there in my tenure, the, always a little bit behind the eight ball, right? Mm -hmm. There's a separation between the magazine and, and the Internet. And that was because some of the, the brass in the magazine weren't really interested in learning what these computers could do or how it would affect the production of this magazine. And when I came in, they went from – from plates to PDFs to digital formats to send it to print. I mean, these things happened overnight. We went from looking at physical film to looking at digitals and having to make color guesses. And people with lots of experience and know how ink lays on paper had to look at digital and figure that out. So uh, they were always a little bit late on this. And, and one of those reasons was Heff was a stickler. When they tried doing some women digitally in post and trying to build it from a, from a camera with no film, they got all the colors wrong on the skin or her skin was green and the women looked uh, awful and the lighting was too blue and this and that. And then he had a, he had a, a memorandum that said no more digital for, for centerfolds, do it all in film. So he's in the mansion out there with out in uh, California with Kimberly and the kids. And he's still approving everything for the magazine. Is that right? Oh yeah. Even up to this day, that is still true. I mean, every day he's, he works on the magazine. So the designs I did on Monday, we'd be talking about him with it on Tuesday afternoon at, Anywhere from two to four when he would call in because that's when he wakes up. They're two hours away. So he would start his day about noon. Mm. <laughs> and then I would be at my desk waiting to get some notes on something I had designed at two o'clock. But I would sometimes sit there till four o'clock and uh, surf the Internet and <laughs> look at porn. <laughs> because that's what you had to do. You had to do it. It's your job. <laughs> that's right. It's research. Was there a change in philosophy at some point? to what the playmate, playmate should look at because there seemed like there was a time in the 2000s where everyone started looking the same. Yes, and, and that is only because that we reflect what's going on in, in, the, in pop culture, what's going on in the real world of fashion or what's going on in entertainment. I mean, well, wait, that, but that's a good, that's a good question, that, that, though. Did, did you reflect what was going on? or did I mean, there was a time when Playboy drove what was going on. Well, they did, but, but right. But, but now the guy that's making those decisions has a lot more platinum blondes in front of him with a lot more 
shaved and a lot more processes going on. So mm -hmm. if that's what's showing up in front of your door, you know, that's what you're putting there. And then all of a sudden, all the, the facial surgeries and, and the, the breast implants, they got really out of whack. And then he started dating these blondes. So you got to remember, man, <laughs> everything falls from the top of the tree downward. <laughs> it don't go up. <laughs> I can tell you there were 250 employees in Chicago that would have loved to uh, have their input heard and help shape and and carry on this legacy but the the guy at the top it has no interest and never has you know you mentioned something there that uh i was talking to a friend of mine a female friend of mine not long ago about this that the evolution of the female pubic hair right when when i was in high school and probably you were in high school or middle school and just sort of coming into the our own sexual discoveries there was no trimming or shaving at all it was uh you know it was bush it was it was a mound it was normal it was it was sexy but then sometime in college the 90s the the landing strip came along and real really trimmed and now you know for the last probably 10 15 years it just seems to be completely shaved brazilian gone and so in your mind did playboy reflect those changes in society or in female you know bodily fashion or did playboy drive it where people were, were women and girls shaving themselves or getting brazilian waxes or whatever because they saw it in playboy or was it the other way around so i have to tell you i think most of it comes from fashion because uh, you know a beautiful woman in in the magazine is naked but a lot of it is reflected around fashion and culture and and movies and all that so i couldn't tell you that playboy had anything to do with it other than when they showed up that's what they showed up with. You're going to keep that or are you going to shave it? Well, I don't know. I, I wonder if, and you're right, you know, when Macintosh computers came along and suddenly early programs like Photoshop and some of the other photo manipulation tools and, and when you as an art director maybe even starting to Photoshop that a little, trim that up over here, let's get rid of those loose hairs no, here. No, 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 think, no, no. Let's, uh, let's, you don't think that had anything to do let's with be it? Straight, let's be straight for a second, Chris. <laughs> I did not take that job to look in tits and ass every day in my life. And let me tell you what. You still have your Louisiana accent. as old I love as that. your best hot dog. If you love hot dogs, I can tell you, if you ate a hot dog every day, you'd be vomiting by the end of the month. All right, then let's go to the $64,000 question. Yeah. You're working at Playboy. You're exposed to it every day. You're going there every day. You've got, you know, working with smart, intelligent people. You're looking at this stuff all day. At what point, time-wise, did it start to get old? Three months in? Four months in? Tell me. The party train from 97 rolled into about maybe 2001 because I was single. Nah, see, right. here we go. Same, right? Here we go. There you go. Yep. I was hired to work on the stuff you read, believe it or not. In fact, when I took the job, it was because I was okay with that. I was okay with working on that because that's what I was hired to do, to take words and ideas in sets of words and design something that's 8 to 15 pages of content through illustration and design. I can tell you an interesting fact. You know, when I first started, I was designing a picture and I like to explore all kinds of avenues to uh, make color choices. And I had taken uh, a photograph and turned it to black and white because I felt like it was stronger. My boss said, you can't do that. Mm. And I said, why not? He said, because Hef hates black and white. Uh, what? Yeah. He hates it. Mm. This is in 98, 99, he's telling me this. He hates it. I said, what for? He said, because when he started the magazine, he couldn't afford the kind of printing he wanted, so he did. He had to do everything in black and white and duotones. So now, in 1998, 99, when he sees stuff in black and white, it makes him. It reminds him of when he was poor and he didn't have any money. And he doesn't like it. How did he feel about Helmut Newton? You know those great old black and white, sexy pictures that Helmut. Uh, he he was exclusively black. Yeah, and white. he he loved that, and that, and that's a that's a guy that you know. Another interesting fact that'll give you an answer. If when I showed up the, at the, the the mansion for the first time, I introduced myself and I got in trouble for it later. And I said, "What for? Why did I get in trouble?" He goes, "Because you don't have tits and you're not George Clooney, <laughs> right?" <laughs> That's how he thought about things. So you had to have some kind of status if he was gonna, even if you were working for him, even if he oh, needed oh, you. Oh, especially when you're working for him. Yeah, I didn't, no, you're working. Go work. How much socializing, you know, after the shoots are done, after the magazine's released, and how much 
were you fraternizing with the models and with the uh, the rest of the staff? Were there parties afterwards that everybody was at? Were there dating? Was it was it rampant sex? What was it like after hours? Lots of fun times, lots of parties, lots of naked women I saw. I found most playmates to be quite wonderful, normal, regular women that uh, for a moment in their lives wanted to show off their body because they're proud of it and confident and later go on. And then there's, like any like any other story, there's a few nitwits and there's a few uh crazy people and there's a few people that live their whole lives with this beauty that one day fades and now they're stuck you know but overall it was uh, really interesting all these uh opportunities to meet all these wonderful people there at the magazine and, and see all these models once in a while naked or to be on a shoot and 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 be there you know and i'll tell you as an art director when you're looking at that you're looking at the photography so your ultimate goal is just to make a beautiful photograph. And if she happens to be naked, well, then you know what? Sue me. I got the job. You didn't. <laughs> right? So you never uh, slept with was... a Playboy model while you were working there. Come on. No, no. Really? No, no. I went to a lot of parties, had a lot of fun. Yeah, because you got to remember, you're, you work you work there. Right. And they work there. They're, empl- they're employees. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I mean, these are, everybody's a professional now. I couldn't tell you that. Those things didn't happen, but I found that it's healthier and safer just to stay straight, you know, because because a lot of people would get caught up in the silliness of something after that that's not really related and lose their jobs and build reputations where you just get blacklisted. You're certainly keeping it as professional as you can. At least I did. Yeah. Because I just don't have time for nonsense, and they don't either, you know. And they were very engaging that way. But most of those girls at the age that they're being models, they're high maintenance, man. High, high maintenance. And I'm not, I'm not a guy living that lifestyle yet, you know. Right. <laughs> I don't have the kind of money that they're, they're swinging dicks out in L.A. or putting up <laughs> and all that. So for me, to be friends and get a letter and a thank you card with a lipstick on it was... <laughs> Just enough. You sort of alluded to the reach of that lifestyle and how how people could get engulfed in it and and lost in it. I mean, we had Chris. I don't know if you told Scott about this. We had a guest just a couple of weeks ago who uh, lived with her father in the Playboy building uh, in the late '90s or early 2000s, and he was a single swinger, an investment banker in Chicago, big money, had a whole floor there in that building, and had these huge parties. And uh, eventually, after a few years, her mom just yanked her out of there, and it was enough was enough. He was trotting out his little 10, 12-year-old daughter to entertain these Playboy models and show that he was a good dad so he could get him in bed. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stories like that. And unfortunately, you know, when you, when you work there, there's, uh, there's, there's an attitude uh, there that we, you don't need that nonsense, you know, because it really – I know it sounds cliche, but you're really you really have a job to do, and everybody's doing it there. Sure. And if that nonsense had gone on, do you think they would still even be alive? I mean, they're alive today with some really poor decisions, yep. but they don't they're not related to nonsense like that. Can you imagine uh, how how long they would have lasted with that sort of silliness? I think there was a long time when that happened, but at some point, you know, it became a multi million dollar business, and it had to be taken care of, and people age, so the. The Mavericks, the same people that start all these new businesses, usually fade out and become conservative later. Yeah. How how did the magazine end up staying in Chicago when half went to L.A.? What was the the thinking behind keeping it in Chicago? Just because is that part of half close to his heart, or how do you think that part played out? It's very simple. This is the Midwest. This is the production hub of the United States. This is where wood comes. This is where printing plants are. This is. Uh, uh, the world's largest airport. Sure, it's all it's a it's a hub for production. This is a production. The the the, the coast uh, is a facade. The coast was the representation of the drug that you could possibly receive if you read this magazine, if you get into this lifestyle, if you read it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the it's the same type of strength that you know people get when they 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 get excited about Trump. They think that somehow that all that magic he has is gonna come down on them. So from the very beginning, it started in Chicago, but this is where it was made. And when you start to, to, to look at pricing, like where paper gets made or where it's printed, <laughs> you look at the West Coast or the East Coast, it's very expensive. So this is where the hub is for production because this is where all the shipping and the, and the receiving and all that blah, blah, blah goes out. This logistics. Is where the, yeah, logistics. yeah the, right. Logistics, right? And the printer's in Wisconsin. 
quad printing and they do huge printing and our Donnelly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they printed all the magazines. So, you know, logistically, this is where it was the safest and easiest and most price effective to to produce a multi-million dollar magazine that at one time, you know, they had these Playboy clubs, too. I mean, this was a multi-million dollar enterprise that 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 like a bubble started off small and then caught fire and got hot and floated around, got really big. And then just over the last. 10 years has just slowly been shrinking because the because it never changed it never evolved it never moved with the times in the way it should have you know i should have been working on not only the magazine parts but at the same time switching my chair around you know 180 and working on on the the digital but we didn't we the departments were separated it was almost like a class warfare working on the magazine you were you know you're sitting real pretty and if you're working on digital and dot com you're kind of you kind of have a lower status. That was how it was seen. There must have been some point in the 2000s, I don't know, mid-2005, six, where that started to switch. You would think, right? No, it did not. Mm. It did not. It, it, it grew that way, and then they sold it out as it, as it we went towards the end. The, the idea of the separation, they had people coming in and lost a few lawsuits where people were designing brand new web experiences for, for Playboy.com because the in-house designers went from 200 people down to like, 12 and now they're asking these 12 to keep reinventing this this process that keeps changing and everybody else is on web 2.0 but playboy's still on web point 1.0 and they've got commerce and they're selling their products they had a i forgot the name of the world's largest video collection that they sold and they had the world's largest music collection the third largest it was uh it was right behind bmg and sony uh it was cc music and cc video and they sold all these franchises off. I'm telling you, you had so much money. And the reason they were able to stay alive for even to the end here with the magazine was because they kept selling off all the original art that Hef owns. They had sales at Christie's. And they would take that money to pay back loans. I mean, it's just a, just a mess of just you know trying to catch up with everybody else that's moving forward at 200, 200 miles an hour. And they're still doing 99 sad this is a sad end yeah it's a sad story would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in some of the meetings or conference calls where i imagine the folks on the magazine leadership team are trying to convince hefner that it's over the, we may have to consider not putting nude pictures in in the magazine anymore how long was that process and how how much was he in denial that this was dead when they purchased the uh, magazine when this company purchased purchased the magazine Back in what year was that? 2011, 2010. Their intent was th- their their expectations was that he was going to die, and they would take over and they'd have the the mansion as an asset. They'd have the magazine. They'd have some synergy with some other companies they owned, and none of that panned out. And he's still alive, so they're still negotiating. As far as taking the the nudity out, the guy that took over was called his name is Scott Flanders. And he said one thing, the only thing I remember him ever saying that, that had any value, he stood on the steps of Playboy the first day he introduced himself to us, and he said, I don't ask for permission, I ask for forgiveness. And then after that, he started dismantling it, because that's his job. And he got it down to where yeah. it is now. And so they eventually, you know, when, when, when it all started to fall apart, uh, the people in the know told me, he said, listen, he is of the attitude, meaning half, that when he's gone, the magazine's gone, and he, he has such a large ego, he can't see the, the magnitude and the size of this entity. So still being under his thumb, he had the, the last say here and there. So he worked it out. His, his sons didn't want to take it over. Now one of them's complaining about it. <laughs> but they didn't want to take over. Nobody wanted to be in the business. And he said, I'm done with it. And he sold it. And he got rid of it. I had to sell my shares. I said, what happens if I don't want to sell my shares? They go, well, you'll have a lot of worthless paper. So I had to sell my shares. And uh, it, it got put into the hands of these other people that have slowly been, they, they eventually fired every last legacy employee uh, of my era. And now it's a completely new entity out in, in L.A. and it's trying to live in a digital space and they're just, they're slowly going to fizz out. And, and so as a magazine fades into oblivion, you know, I think they're probably just trying to do whatever they can until, you know, someone buys the mansion and then he passes. No, so I know you left there in 2013, and then in late 2015 is when they decided to, to do away with the, the spreads. Do you have any idea? I'm sure you have people you know that still work there. What What is the the image they're trying to put forth now? Are they competing against Esquire? Are they a literature magazine? What What do they want to be now? I couldn't tell you. No, 
nobody that worked there, especially me. So I worked in the art department. It was a very small department. And then there's a photography department, and there are more of my friends there. But that's about the extent of my relationships. Everybody else was sort of an offshoot of that. But I could tell you, nobody I know cares or talks about it. So I, I, I know it sounds, it sounds okay. obtuse, but but or something. But I don't know. They they yeah. they literally treated the employees so horribly in the last year. I mean, it, it, I, I there could be an after-school drama <laughs> written about it because people were in such misery. Nobody there cares. Nobody there uh, has an inkling other than a nostalgic effect, at least on my side too, because for me it was such a great experience and all of a sudden to just be told that you're you're not valued anymore and to have this thing just be thrown out. I mean, it was really a, it was really a, a career. That's I'm glad he brought that up because I saw Scott not long after that and respectfully, Scott, if I could say you were not in good emotional shape because as you can imagine, Chris, like a marriage or anything else, when you put your heart, it's not a job, it's something that you literally put your heart and soul into mind and body, everything, and then when it's taken away from you, it's like a whoosh, like it's just huge void. Yeah, yeah, and especially because I'm an artist, right? So I at Playboy, I lived in two spaces. I either live in a space as an artist, is very emotional. Or I live in the space as a director, and it's more, uh, it's, it's sure. hopefully a little more neutral, you know. So I'm switching on and off. My brain switching off and all day, but it's not too many opportunities where you get to be in a job where you get to design, illustrate, buy illustration, a watch. Uh, multi-talented photographers shoot amazing photography be around models meet celebrities you know uh, be around all this it, it's not that often so all of a sudden you know uh, 16 years later I've got a house and a family and I have this a dream job that not very many people have ever had and I did really well at it and all of a sudden the poor decisions that I had been hearing about and and trying to ch make a change about for almost 16 years from the very beginning Offering up ideas, saying let's change that, let's be relevant. They always fell on deaf ears because it was, uh, it, it's a, uh, it's it's a go kart <laughs> with a sidecar and only one driver, and and that's yeah. the way it was. I mean, my 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 managers lived in a in a, in a, in a very awkward fear of this guy. I mean, it was crazy. It is kind of a, I mean, it's such a success story for the first 40 years, but then it's so tragic over the last 10 or 20 years of Playboy's history because you look at some of these other empires that were created on the strength of one man's vision, like a Walt Disney or, or even a Bill Gates, you know, a guy with an idea and a vision, you build an empire. And what you want to happen, I would think, is that your empire becomes bigger than any one person, including the person that created it. Disney is far bigger than Walt ever thought or was probably capable of building it. Microsoft is probably beyond what Bill Gates ever thought, but Hugh Hefner kept Playboy under his thumb and it never became bigger than him. So when he reached, you know, he never evolved. his 70s, and he, never evolved. He, he never evolved, he never changed, he tried to make it what he wanted it to be and never put it sort of in the hands or the palm of society and let it run. Well, I will, I, in his defense, I will tell you that the people that worked for him are, 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 partially responsible because they're the ones that didn't want to face the technology you know there was a there's a there's a line right now if you look at technology now and my friend and i have discovered it's 35 years old if you're 35 years or older you're more likely you don't need no damn email and i don't need facebook okay if you're under 35 <laughs> you've probably got f at least five socials that you you have a profile and a community in and that's the same thing back then you know so yeah. Huff took a lot of it would take some of this and, and did make changes ultimately too late from outsiders. People on the outside would say, you got to think about yeah. this or that. And then all of a sudden you go, well, that's why didn't you tell me about that? Let's do that. And, and, and I think being having the wrong filters in the wrong place, or at least they, I think the opportunities to share with him got smaller and smaller until everybody was just so afraid of him to say, you got to, you got to change this up. I have to ask you this. Who is the most beautiful model you ever saw in the magazine or worked with? When I started the magazine, and I saw the magazine with Karen McDougal. There's a centerfold of her at Christmas from by the, the backside. By the fire. She's in white. Yeah. She's in some white uh, mink stuff like her booties and the, the hand warmer kind of things and all that. And it's just her backside and her butt. 
And I thought that was fantastic because it wasn't, uh, there's a lot of imagination going on there. And I remember I ripped it out of the magazine and hung it on my wall. In fact, I spray mounted it to a piece of foam core and I put it in my office wall, which was you know, later a museum piece for the people taking the tour of the office. But that's another story. But I did take that out and mounted my wall because I thought that for a centerfold, that was one of the most tasteful ones I had seen. It was done so well. It, it has a sense of whimsy. It's cutesy. And uh, she shot from behind. So all you see is her derriere. And the rest of it is just a lot of fun. Here's some trivia for you. Apparently, in 2001, the readers of Playboy voted her the second sexiest playmate playmate of the 90s who was the first Ooh, i know this uh pamela anderson was technically in 89 but does she count as a 90s playmate or jenny jenny mccarthy, McCarthy. i'm gonna go with jenny mccarthy no pamela anderson you were right the first time okay so have you ever been to the playboy mansion out in la yeah i have i went out there because my first layout was uh it was an editorial on perry farrell they were celebrating the music issue and they were having a party at the mansion so i asked my boss if i could go my boss was really tight, and he said, no, I can't afford it. So I bought my own ticket, and I asked my boss, can I go? I buy my own ticket. He goes, sure. And I went to this music party, and uh, I uh, ran into Perry Farrell, and I introduced myself and told him why I was there. And I had him copy of the magazine, asked him to sign it, and uh, it was so awkward. It was awful. <laughs> so later on, I've got my new Sony uh, TR3 or TR whatever, 6 or something. I'm standing over there by the uh, on the other side of the volleyball nets in the backyard. And I'm standing there watching the girls, and they're all, they're not new. They're in bikinis. They're playing, they're playing volleyball. And I'm looking around, and I have my camera on since I'm taking some video. I'm going to show it to my father or somebody who will listen. And I turn around, and I look up at the, the turret on the part of the mansion, the, the gable, if you will. And I see the curtains open up. And I've got my camera focused on the curtains, and it's Hef. And he's looking out the window to look at the party, see how it's going. I caught it on film. I have it to this day. So then all of a sudden I'm standing there, and it's not even a second later, and I see some people milling about to my to my right. I'm standing there watching the volleyball game, and I turn around, and one or two people are talking, and next to me is Hugh Hefner. Like he had walked out and walked up right behind me, and I turn around, and I see him. So I'm not, I'm not afraid of anybody. <laughs> I stick up my hand and I walk up to him and I say, hello, Mr. Hefner, how are you? My name is Scott Anderson. I'm an art director. I'm working for you now. I did the layout. That's the reason I'm here. <laughs> he looked at me and I said, oh, this is very nice, very nice to meet you. And he doesn't stop. He takes my hand, shakes it, but doesn't stop and walks away. And then when I, uh, when I get back, my boss asks to see me in his office. And that's when I got the, 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 uh, the talking to, if you will about how we don't fraternize with the old man because he doesn't uh, he doesn't like that. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about leaving Playboy. You mentioned earlier that it was a shock in 2013 when you and others lost your jobs. How long did it take you to get back on your feet and to figure out what was next? What was your next step? Where would you go after all of that time with one company? And what would you do? It's just a good question. So the short end of it is I... Uh, before I, I was notified by my mom, right after I told uh, was told that I'd be losing my position there, so would all these other people, that my mom was dying. So then my mom, so I lost my job. Well, I was, let's back it up. How did it happen? Uh, I lost my mother first, and then I lost my job. And then the next year, I lost my uncle. And then the year after that, I lost my sister-in-law auto cancer. So I've had about three years. So it took me almost three years to, to get to this point where we're talking today. In between then, I was trying to figure out what I'd been doing for 16 years, what I had done before that, and what I was going to do next. Uh, and then about mm, a year and a half ago, almost maybe a little over a year and a half ago, it's yeah, almost two years ago, I decided I was going to start training myself for some other things. Uh, so I had been on my butt since 90, 89 as an artist and designer, graphic designer, whatever you want to call it. And... I figured that I, I, I was tired of sitting down. So the last three years, I've been training myself in photography. I was a photographer, but not one that made a living at it. I really don't now, but I'm a much better photographer. And I took the approach to uh, producing and manifesting my ideas because the training I received at Playboy allowed me to experiment and do a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff. Uh, I decided to take that and convert it to digital. 
taking the analog and moving into the phone. So I started with my 3GS. And then from that point on, I just elevated to my 6S now. And I took what used to be four hours in Photoshop and I've converted it into a 10 or 15 minute, 15 minute experience on my iPhone while I'm at a bus stop or waiting for my kids to get out of school or in between a stoplight. I've been uh, looking through your Instagram. And first of all, these Instagram, some of this stuff is phenomenal. Are you doing a lot of this stuff with your iPhone? 90% of it's with my iPhone. There's the last shot that I posted this morning. Did you see the, the last one that's there? It's black and white, and I shot it in Target. I shot that this morning. You got a lot of black and white stuff, but yeah, this is just, some of it is just stunning. I have to ask you about this, though. I, I scrolled down. How to be a failure at 50. Talk about that a little bit. Well... I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> yes, you do. And Instagram is a great place to test these ideas. And so now I'm 50 years old. I've been put on my keister and uh, I'm going through a lot of grief and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And the gamification of Instagram and the gamification of these phones has taught me you can fail a lot. And that failure is really nothing more than finding out the right way to do it. My my obser observation now is it takes me longer to figure out how not to fuck something up than it used to, you know? And in return, it, it's a shorter path to success now because you don't have to make that many mistakes to get it right. So I'm playing around with some of the methodologies and the gamifications you see, whether it's click funnels that are used for marketing and selling. The other day I listened to a webinar about how to use Instagram as a marketing tool. So even that example there, that's a PDF. And, and some of these things are about how to, how to build followers, right? But once you have these followers, well, how do you convert them into money? And one of the simple ideas about how to do that is you don't sell things. You build loyal customers, groupies, if you will, who find value in what you had to say. And eventually, if you build this value, they'll buy stuff from you. One of the ways you can do this is through landing pages. And on that landing page, in exchange for your email, of which I can add it to my mailing list and put you on a robot that will talk to you almost every time you want it to, I will give you a free book. And in that book, a PDF, whether it's a page or five pages, you'll get some sort of value out of it. And then I saw it as a marketing tool focused on the 2080. I can do more from the seat of this computer uh, in that way to generate and make money through digital products than I can the other way. So well, I wrote that title and I, I wanted to see how it sounded because I had these ideas for these digital books, almost uh, fishing lures, if you will, yeah. uh, to try and, and build this this methodology and maybe eventually uh, take some of my t-shirt ideas or some of my movie ideas and then market them and and like my photography sell prints and maybe build an e-commerce store so I, again i'm a scientist I, I mess around with a lot of stuff i don't finish very much <laughs> or at least it used to be that way yeah. until i got the job at playboy and then i learned how to finish things and now i'm trying to make my mind up about the types of things i want to finish we finished our first uh, music video and that was really a test because I'm, I'm focused on making a TV show or a web experience or whatever it might possibly turn into but I, I've learned that there's great reward in just taking the first step because sometimes when you do that you'll find out what you're doing and if anything these digital decisions, podcasts movies, videos TV shows, webisodes, all they require now is the ability to to to, to want to wake up and do it You are a fascinating human being but I have I have a great deal of respect for somebody I've never met in my life, and that is your wife. She must be supportive of your all these ideas and the stuff that you're doing and your art and your imagination. Talk about her for a second. She deserves some credit. Yes, yes, yes. Her, My mother died, then my uncle died, and then my sister-in-law, her mother died. It was her older sister, and my wife's uh, real mother died when she was nine. So... Her older sister, who was a year younger than me, died from pancreatic cancer. So we both had these. Uh, we had both had the loss of our mothers at the same time. My mm. wife is an artist, and she is the. I know it may sound cliche, but she truly is the. She's the masthead on my uh, rocky boat. You know, I, I, I'm I'm a crazy car, and she's the the sail that keeps everything balanced. She doesn't put up with nonsense, and uh, my idea is a little crazier now that I'm a little bit older. Uh, but that's only because I realized I have less time. It, it, it seems like yesterday when my son and my daughter were born. But in that process, you know, it's taken a while. 
and and she went she's an artist as well she's a wonderful children's uh, illustrator and she's worked in publishing and she's worked in related fields to her to her art degree and then in the last three years now she's been a producer at leo burnett so she went mm. to a new uh plateau that she had never been around and it was difficult at first but now she's really found her sea legs and she's doing really well at leo burnett and she's in the she's in the preferred department she's in the old school She's yeah. where they still they still do things in print, and so the last few years have been very difficult. I won't lie to you, I've had a number of a number of uh, a number of walls come up that we've uh, finally gotten over. Most of them emotional, but some of them just uh, luck of the draw and just sort of like a bloodletting, if you will, and 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 getting rid of of, of the negative decisions I made, some of the negative people I chose to do business with, and sort of starting with a new slate. But the future looks to be where eventually I'll, I'll make some more money and then I can hire an intern or hire some help and then I can get some help on the production end, possibly teach some kids something that I know they don't or, or vice versa and then start to make things happen. My friend said, why don't you start an advertising agency because everything you say sounds like that. And I said, it's kind of what I'm doing, but it's really I, – I, it's, it's in between – it's running your own business, but also being a facilitator. A friend of mine said, you're a facilitator. I thought that was magical. And now I just use the word producer. But I, I have bigger bigger ideas and less time to do it. And I think now, you know, I'm envious of the people that make movies or write books. And they're they're in the stores. Millions of them when you go to Barnes & Noble. You know, books every way of luck. Somebody thought of that and had to write it and send it to somebody and get it approved. You know, and I think now... With that level of confidence and with what I've learned how to do and with the talent that I know, I think it's a matter of just trying to throw little parties. I, I've decided to call my new enterprise the Dog and Pony Show because if I've learned anything, that's truly what it is, you know? Hey, what do you need? And you put on a show and, and then you get it done. You know, you, 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 there's the, the, the dancing side to it and then there's the production side to it. The dog and the pony. The dog is the entertainment, and the and the pony is the production that gets it out. You are very good at evoking emotion with an image, and if that's what a photographer is supposed to do, that's you know you you ought to be able to make a really good living or or more at what you're doing because you know I that's very nice of you, and and I hope some today to do that. One of the reasons I I practice it though is because I. I, I, I want to learn how it's done so that when I ask somebody more talented to me, than me to do it, I know what they're going through. Do you know what I'm saying? I have, yeah. I, I, once I, that's the thing I've done most of my life is I, I mimic and copy things. I'm a scientist. I memorize lines and I memorize processes. And then once I memorize them, I just try to evoke my own unique perspective on it, my sense of uh, humor you know, my sense of drama. And most of that is just so that I can get in the, the belly of the beast. <laughs> figure out what they're doing <laughs> and, then, uh, and then and then be around you know i think the best thing i have is is like a bridge between uh what goes in the can and where it's coming from you know i give you a lot of credit scott i mean you're clearly a guy who sort of got a dream job you know pretty early in your career and stayed there for a long time and then that dream job goes away and then what do you do you're still young. You still got 30, 40 years on the planet, and you sort of did this amazing thing that, that could be the pinnacle for a lot of people, but it's not going to be the pinnacle for you. But where do you go from there? You know, it almost reminds me of uh, an NFL player or a Major League Baseball player. You know, they become a star, and they, they do this thing that every guy in the world wants to do for five or 10 years, but then they turn 30, they're, they're, they're old, they're slow, they have to leave that, then what do they do? You know, what is, what is an all-star baseball player who's forced to retire by 35 years old do with the rest of his career? And you, right. were, kind of forced, you were kind of forced to do that same kind of thing at, I, I don't know, close to 50 or in your late 40s. I had my dream job or, or everybody else's dream job for 13 years, and now I gotta do something even better and what's that going to be? That that's that is a wall to climb that that everyone needs to uh, take a lesson from you and admire what you're doing because the way you're reinventing yourself here and with the work you're doing is just phenomenal. It really is. Uh, thank you. I it's hard to see it that way. All you realize is that you know that was just one dream job. I've had some really wonderful dream jobs. I've been exposed to some really great talent, and one of the best things I got out of Playboy was being around other artists. Because then all of a sudden, what I had at Playboy, I didn't have previously. I didn't have people to share it with. The only people I shared my art with were the clients. And they don't usually tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> they tell you what they want to hear. 
Well, you've got phenomenal stuff here on Instagram, and I, people should go. You're Scotty Rocks, S-C-O-T-T-Y-R-O-C-K-S, Scotty Rocks. So we will put that and the other places where you can find Scott's work on Twitter, Instagram, his website, etc. That will be in the description of the podcast on SoundCloud uh, and iTunes and other places where this podcast can be found. This is Middle Ground. I want to thank Scott for joining us and thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks, guys. Have a great night, everyone.